This is the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study. We examine some questions teachers may face, and we give some teaching tips along the way. This fall, we are studying the Gospel of Mark. I'm Amber Vaden, your host, and today I'm joined by Mike Livingston. He was just here a couple of weeks ago, and he's back. Mike serves as an editor on our Explore the Bible team and always has uh, great insights, so it's always always good to see him on our podcast. Mike, thank you for being here. Hi, Amber. Thank you for asking me to be here. Today we will look at session nine, uh, and we'll be discussing Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 25. So I'll begin with just an outline to sort of look at what is what is happening in these verses, and then we will we will jump into some questions. In Mark chapter eleven, verses fifteen through seventeen, uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he began driving merchants and their customers out of the temple complex. He overturned tables, chairs, and prohibited people from carrying merchandise through the temple area. Jesus quoted from Isaiah and Jeremiah, teaching that God's house was not a marketplace, but a house of prayer for all people, including Gentiles trying to worship in the court of Gentiles. In Mark chapter 11, verses 18 and 19, Mark pointed out that when the religious leaders were notified, they began looking for a way to kill Jesus. They were driven by fear since the crowds were astonished by the teachings of Jesus. Mark also explained that Jesus and his disciples stayed outside the city in the evenings. After encountering the fig tree, which had withered from the roots up, Peter identified it as the tree that Jesus had cursed a day earlier for its lack of fruit. Jesus challenged his disciples to have faith in God when praying, pointing out that the mountains or difficult situations could be moved by those who believed and asked. He also explained that a person needed to forgive as he or she had been forgiven by the Father. Our overall summary statement for this session is Jesus expects his followers to remove obstacles to prayer. So it's a good, this is a good good passage and going to be an interesting discussion. Um, we'll just jump into some questions. What are some ways to deal with distractions to prayer? Uh, I think the passage in this lesson is going to can go in two directions and probably needs to go in both directions but we can talk about removing mm-hmm. distractions for ourselves we could also talk about removing oh, okay, distractions yeah. for others which is what jesus was doing but, but let's, let's look at the first part of that though in, in answer to your question because i think that's yeah. where where you're going with the question and <clears throat> you remember back um several weeks ago session two i think it was we were in mark one and we talked about the prayer line for Jesus. It's Mark one thirty five. We were looking at that verse, because, um, and that's the verse that says, "Very early in the morning, it was still dark. He got up and made his way out to a deserted place, and, and there he was praying." What that tells us about Jesus is that he made prayer a priority. The only way he could find time uh, for interrupted, uninterrupted prayer was to get up. Well, it was still dark very early in the morning and to go out to a deserted place. But even there, the disciples interrupted him. But what that says to us is that that, that was a priority, that, that he, would, he would do that. And so dealing with distractions, I think that's where dealing with distractions has to start, making 
prayer a mm-hmm. priority in our lives? Because if prayer is not a priority, then distractions will always win the day if it's not a priority. That is that is the main thing. That's the first thing is I, if it's not a priority, then then nothing else, you know, is, is, is going to help. But, but I think to add to that, I think some things that, you know, for me that are helpful is, um, you know, pray with, uh, pray with people, pray with other people, have a prayer partner. I mean, there's so, there's a lot of value in that for I me mean, for multiple reasons, but you know, it holds us accountable. Um, and, and it's just, it's a good practice to have a prayer partner in your life or other, other people that you pray with on a regular basis. And, and something else that I think is valuable, uh, at least for me, is to pray with pen and paper in hand. I, like I mean, you know, th- there is no Bible verse that says you have to close your eyes when you mm-hmm. pray. I mean, the reason we close our eyes when we pray is that we're trying to shut out distractions. Yep. But maybe, you know, there there are times when, when a more effective way of dealing with distractions is is to write our prayers mm-hmm. out, you know, write them out. Um there, and there, again, there's a lot of, uh, you know, value in that benefits of, you know, keeping a prayer journal. Uh, so, but one of the benefits is it helps us to focus. Another thing, I guess, you know, the la- third thing, I guess, last thing is to pray scripture, learn, learn to pray scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps, it helps us focus our prayers yep. and it teaches, teaches us how to pray. You know, what, what, what do we pray for? What should we pray for? Let, let the prayers of the Bible. Uh, inform uh, our prayers and, and guide us in, in how we should pray and what we should pray for. You know, the prayers of Jesus, the prayers of Paul, you know, or, or as you're reading anywhere in the scripture, you know, ask one of the good questions to ask uh, of any passage is what is this verse? What does this passage teach me about how to pray? Oh, like how, how should I pray in light of this? How should I pray? Yeah. Turn verses into prayers. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good place to start with that is, you know, go to the Psalms. Um, they're meant to be prayed. Uh, Psalm 1611, in your presence is abundant joy. You know, how do we turn that into a, a prayer? Lord, help me to find joy in you, my joy in you. Help me to find my satisfaction in you. The Lord is my shepherd. How, how do we turn that into a prayer? Lord, I need you to be my shepherd today. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are just a, a few ideas. I like that. I think it's just another way also to really um, spend some time in scripture because if we're praying it back, uh, we have to kind of think through it a little bit and think how how it applies to us specifically or what's going on in our lives. So that's a really good, it's a really good um, observation. Mark mentions the fig tree before and after cleansing cl- the cleansing of the temple. What's the significance of the fig tree? Well, when you look at the passage, <clears throat> the fig tree um, it it bookends the cleansing in the temple. You see it before, just mm-hmm. right before. The cleansing in the temple, and then you see the same fig tree right after it. So it's like a bookend on, on both sides. That should be a clue. That should tell us something. That 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 um, the, the cleansing in the temple is is bookend by this one thing, the, the fig tree. And so there's there's got to be some significance of, to that. What that says to us is that the key to understanding the cleansing of the temple is that fig tree. There's something about that fig tree. Now, the chapter starts with the triumphal entry, Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Um, that's like the first 11 verses. And then in verse 12, it says, The next day they went out from Bethany. He was hungry, and he saw he, he saw this fig tree in a distance, and he went to find out if there's anything on it, and he came to it. He found nothing but leaves, 
But then it says an interesting thing, for it was not the season for figs. Okay, okay, Mm -hmm. that's important. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the season for figs. He he shouldn't have expected to find figs on the fig tree when when it's not the season for figs. But then he said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Now, that seems odd. That seems even out of character for Jesus. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't the season for figs. Why was Jesus expecting to find figs on the tree if it wasn't the season for figs to be ripe on the tree? So what that, again, what that says to us is something important, that there's something symbolic there. He's not cursing that tree because it didn't produce fruit. This was an acted out parable, right? It's an acted out parable that explains the meaning of the cleansing of the temple right. that follows that. So what you have in that fig tree is, um, because of the time of year, it was the fig tree was fully uh, leafed. It, it was it had leaves, but just no fruit. So you got a fully leafed fig tree without fruit, which was a picture of what was taking place in the temple. It was a picture of the nation. And the fig tree, by the way, the fig tree is used in the Old Testament as a symbol for the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. Like like. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13, there will be no grapes on the vine, no figs on the fig trees, even the leaf will wither. So there's, you know, the Old Testament uses the fig tree as a symbol of, of Israel. That's, again, that's significant. So what, what's going on in Jesus's day is you've got people going to the temple and they're going through the motions. They're just going through the motions of worship and sacrifices and all these religious activities, but they miss God in, in all of that. They miss God. So the leafed out but fruitless fig tree was a symbol of Israel's religion, a symbol of their hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. The withering of that same fig tree that Peter pointed out in verse 21 after the cleansing of the temple, the, the withering of that same fig tree was a picture of God's judgment on them. So you've got on both on both uh, you know ends of the cleansing of the temple, you've got that fig tree. So that, that tells you that helps us understand what the cleansing of the temple was all about. Mm-hmm. And it's such a visual, and and I think we learn by visuals. Um, Jesus taught in he taught using visuals and word pictures a lot, and so this is a this is a prime example of that. Of we because we can all think of a tree, and especially one that is full and should maybe um, eventually have fruit on it. That's easy for us to pull up in our mind, and then to see that did not please the Lord. There wasn't fruit, and and, and in the temple, there was not the spiritual fruit he he expected to be there. So that's that is really helpful. Right. Uh, we talked about this this next topic. We talked about it two weeks ago, or maybe maybe three. Um, but here here's the similar wording here, uh, verse twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Uh, does that support a name it and claim it idea of prayer? Yeah, we did. Uh, we did just see this um, a couple of weeks ago, and we we want to affirm um, whenever we can. You know, as, as, certainly as we teach this, that the purpose of prayer is not, you know, just to get things from God. It's not attempting to get God to change His will to to fit our plans. Right. You know, that's not what prayer is about. The primary purpose of prayer is not to conform God's will to our agenda; it's to conform our hearts to His. Um, 
you know, there's a there's a, a verse in James 4, 3. It says, when you ask, you don't receive. Why? Because you ask with the wrong motives to get it on your own, to spend it on your own pleasures. And what James is talking about there is selfish prayers. That hmm. Selfish prayers will not be blessed by God. Um, so, you know, just read, look at the prayers of the Bible. You know, look at the prayers of Moses or Jesus or, or, or Paul, David, um, do, do you get a, a name it, claim it vibe, you know, when you read the prayers of scripture? Um, of course not. And John 17, you know, read the prayer of Jesus in John 17. The theme of his prayer is God's glory. The burden of Jesus' mm-hmm, heart mm-hmm. raised before the cross is, Father, get the glory out of this. Just when you yeah. get the glory of, of what's about to happen. Or, or read Paul's prayers for the churches. You know what's not in his prayer prayers for the churches is physical, material kinds of requests. Even though he's writing most of them from prison, um, you don't, you know, you don't get in his prayers this concern about material, physical kinds of things. The focus of Paul's prayers are spiritual and eternal realities. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and we, you know, I think we, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, you know, that first John five fourteen about asking anything according to his will, um, he'll, he'll hear us. Um, and so that's, that's the condition of prayer, certainly. Yeah. And you mentioned at, at, the, at the beginning part of that, you said, um, our heart and our, our heart condition and our motivations, those are known to the Lord. <laughs> we, we can't hide those. And so if we, even if we maybe uh, begin a prayer that sounds a bit like um, a name it and claim it, he, he knows exactly where our heart is. Yeah. Uh, okay. We have one more question. Verse 25 seems to suggest God's forgiveness of us is dependent on our forgiveness of others. Is that what this is saying? Um, it might sound like it on the surface, but but the the, the message of the New Testament is is not that it's not that salvation is dependent on our forgiving other people. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it does teach us that our relationship with God can be affected and be damaged if we refuse to yeah. to forgive those who have offended us. So it it is significant. It does matter, and an unwillingness to forgive others does call into question the health and vitality of our relationship with God. It does call into question our our own understanding of the gospel of grace. Yeah. And, yeah. and there are others, not just this passage, but there are other passages that say the same thing as this one. Like in uh, Matthew 6, if you forgive others their offense, uh, offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. Or Luke six thirty seven, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Forgiven, you'll be forgiven. And even told Jesus even told a parable in Matthew eighteen about the unforgiving servant, the <laughs> servant who refused to, to forgive a debt, and he and that servant was judged. Um, so this isn't the only place. You, you know, you you see there there is a connection here. Uh, <clears throat> now in this in this passage in Mark it. You see the uh, the phrase, when you stand praying, verse 25, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Now, standing standing and praying was the usual posture. There's nothing, you know, really significant about standing to pray here in this verse. There's no 
there's no hidden meaning in the fact that he says when you stand to pray, but maybe at the same time, maybe the image here that comes to mind is of a person standing and praying publicly. Mm-hmm. And and so if, if that's the image, and that's the image that comes to my mind as I think of that, I think about some other passages uh, going back to Matthew 6 again, whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray standing in their synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Or in Luke 18, the Pharisee who was standing and praying um, to himself, God, I thank you. I'm not like other mm-hmm, people. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe that's the image that we should see here. The idea that you can engage in a public expression of faith while at the same time harboring sin and resentment toward others in your heart. And the warning here, the warning should be for us to deal with our own sinful attitudes toward uh, toward others. Otherwise, our relationship with God is going to suffer. That is really helpful. I think think you started off saying uh, the vast message of the New Testament is God's forgiveness of us is is an act of His His and His alone. Uh, so certainly that is a, yeah. uh, a a good beginning point to understand when someone maybe sees this passage or another one like it and and yes. goes, wait a second, I thought that I didn't think this is right. So that's a really uh, imperative kind yeah. of understanding to begin with, and then obviously as the Lord works in our hearts, we should be more and more like Him. Uh, growing spiritually, growing in spiritual fruit, which would include forgiveness. Uh, Each week, we want to highlight something that can be helpful to you as a group leader. And so this week, uh, our pack item, we have a pack item that is named in the leader guide, pack item number five. It is a poster of the temple. And so it, for this specific session, it is really helpful because you can see where the court of the Gentiles is and, and where some of, um, how it's kind of laid out and to give some kind of context to what is happening in these verses. Um, That is really helpful and it can be just a benefit to your discussion if you're able to share that with your group. Thank you for listening today. If you have comments or questions, you are welcome to send me an email at amber.vaden at lifeway.com. I will um, be happy to answer your question or find an answer if I don't already know it. Mike, thank you for being here today. You're welcome. Thank you. Next week, we will discuss Mark chapter 13 with Tim Pollard. Tim serves as the team leader for Explore the Bible Kids, and he always brings um, helpful insight to our conversations. So we hope you'll join us.